Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our weekly message. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. To connect with our church family and to watch our live streams, please visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc. So let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Um, thank you. Can, if we can get that, maybe some dappy, we can roll with that. That'll help me too. And so um, <clears throat> we had um, a lot of folks was out last week. Um, and so I don't know how many is keeping up with what, what we've been communicating on Sunday. It might be a little hot right there now. Y'all help us out with this sound. We're going to get it right. We got some more equipment coming. We got some bad equipment and, uh, we, we, we're going to get it there by the grace of God. But when the sound starts acting up and things like that, man, it makes me want to bite the head off nails. I'm not going to lie, but it's not that, um, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I thought we uh, finished well. And another frustration that I had is I, my prayer was this, and I think this will go for all of us, is um, how many knows we desperately need the Father to take us in an expression of worship beyond what we're used to? Because if you think that that right there was the worship, I got news for you. We were singing and doing the best we could and can. But worship is far more deeper than what we just experienced. And so my prayer is, Lord, I want to, I just, I just want to experience something new. I want to go to another level. And, um, and so with that, let's go to John chapter one. Um, I, I, I probably don't have the best language, uh, but I'm going to do the best I can to communicate this and put language to it. Um, so I'm just in this journey of this place in my own walk with the Lord that I'm trying to, to go after. I've been asking the Lord a bunch of questions. And, um, and so little by little, I'm getting some answers on those things. And um, how many knows that, you know, it's a journey. So like you'll get something here and you later down the road, you stumble across something else and you stumble across something here. And then it's like some things just start coming together and you're like, man, why didn't, why didn't I get that two years ago or three years ago? But the Lord really is building line upon line and precept upon precept. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that this is the day that you created. Father, this is a great day. Lord, today's a great day. It's a great day to be in your presence. It's a great day to be in your house. It's a great day to be in your word. So, Father, today I pray that you would open our ears to hear. And, Lord, most of all, when the people leave here today, let them leave. Lord, I just, if I could leave one thought, is to leave them captivated with how much you are passionately pursuing us. Father, you are pursuing us. I've, I've, I've ran for 20 years of my life trying to pursue you. But I'm coming to realize, Father, that it is your pursuit of me. You have pursued us, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. So John chapter 1, you there? John chapter 1. All right, let's see what verse we're going to start with. We're going to start right where we did um, last uh, Sunday. We're going to go, we're going to be reviewing, and then we will go maybe a little further than where we're at. And um, when, I, 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 when I started out in the ministry, I was afraid to preach anything twice. And I thought, man, if we preached it twice, and, um, and Junior remember this too, that Pastor Dale told us we couldn't preach no one else's stuff, but his. If he preached it, then we could, we could use his stuff. Then we started finding all his books where he was stealing all his sermons for. He's like, man, that's hogwash. <laughs> Deal with Junior, remember that? Can't preach, but, and then uh, <laughs> everybody's cleaning from somebody. Are you with me now? Everybody's cleaning from somebody. And so, uh, so with, uh, I, I was afraid to preach anything twice because if you preached it twice, that means the people know you didn't study. You know what I'm saying? And so they didn't think you ain't been with the Lord, so you can't preach it twice. Got to give a new revelation or whatever. But man, we really become itching ears at some point, you know, just wanting to hear something new and we've not applied anything that we have in the past. So I'm not afraid to preach the same thing twice. And I'm going a lot of revision here because I'm eating this every single day. What I'm going to talk to you, man, I've been eating for a while, and, and I've, I eat this every single day. So I want to start out in John chapter 1, verse 38. Now, let's look at this verse of Scripture. 
Then Jesus turned around and saw they were following him. This is John's disciples are leaving. They see Jesus. They begin to follow him. And he asked them, what do you want? What do you want? We said this last Sunday. That begs the question of everyone in this room. What do we want? What are we after? What, what is it we're after? And he says, they responded, Rabbi, which means master, teacher, where are you staying? Jesus answered, come and discover for yourselves. So the Christian life is one of discovery. Are you with me now? How many members I brought the colorful book out here that almost looked like a little children's book where it was uh, the book titled Western Theology. And it shows you two different viewpoints, one of the church being a pioneer and the others being settlers. And each has their own view of God. Each has their own view of church. Remember in the settler, in the settler theology, they view the church as like a courthouse where there's law, the laws are kept and everything's under lock and key and the, uh, the picture of God, he's the mayor that's behind the closed doors on the second floor that no one sees. And then in the, in the pioneer theology, the church was a wagon train held together by bailing wire because it had been through the storms, if you will, but it's on the trail. And God in that picture is not a picture of, of a mayor sitting in an upper room somewhere that's locked away. He's actually the trail boss that is down there doing life with them. Are you with me now? And so how many knows that God is not afar off watching us, but he's involved in our everyday life? Now, let's look, I want to jump back. So when, G, when they asked Jesus, when Jesus asked them the question, what do you want? I gave this quote, and it's by C.S. Lewis. He says, the price to follow Jesus is to want him. It, it, the price to follow Jesus is to want him. But to want him, the price of wanting him, is the ability to be stretched and have our mind transformed when he comes to change the way we have preconceptions, ideas. We went over this. Everyone in this room, you see in the Bible what you're already prepared to see. You see through the lenses of how you were trained. Are you with me now? We all are wearing glasses, just like we all speak with accents. We all see with accents in this room. So a lot of times our approach to scripture, we see what we're already prepared to see in the Bible. If you was raised in a denominational church that taught you sensationalism, you believe that the gifts are no longer for today. Come on, somebody. But if you have not been and had that pair of glasses put on you, you believe that the gifts are for today. We all are guilty of that. But how many know? that God is never limited to our ability to see him. He's so much higher than that. His ways are so much higher than ours. And so God is inviting us on this journey of discovery. He's not afraid of our stuff. Come on. Uh, see, I was, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I was raised in the church where we had to stand at an arm's distance because he was so holy that you could not approach him. Let me just say this. If your view of God is that of, of one of holy, holiness and legality from that standpoint, you will never draw near to him because you can never draw near to something you fear. And God, is, as Mitch has taught this on the live stream with me on Wednesday night, when we talk about the fear of God, we're not talking about being afraid to approach Him. We're talking about the allness of God. We all need to be awestruck by Him in this room. Are you with me now? That is the fear of God, that He is so awesome that we're awestruck by Him, not, our, not at where we have to stay away from Him because of our stuff. Because the reality is everyone in this room is dealing with something. You got some kind of hurt. You got some kind of wound. You got some kind of sin problem. And religion tries to tell us to get cleaned up before we come in. But the Father wants to open the doors to the house and welcome us in the house and have fellowship with us and allow the Holy Spirit to deal with those issues. All right, so y'all with this. So when they ask him, they, he asks him, what do you want? They respond back by saying, tell us where you live. Now they're not asking the Lord do you live on Gordon Avenue? Do you live on Cleveland Street? Do you live on Highway 82? This is a, the word, tell us where you live, is where we get the word out of John 15, where he says, you are, I am the vine and you are the branch. Tell us where this life union is coming from. So in other words, they're noticing something about this man that's different than any other teacher. Come on. We know from the scripture they said that, that Jesus taught with one having authority and power. 
So they're noticing something on his life, and they want to know where does this life union come from. C.S. Lewis called it a river. And see, the river's flowing. You see it. You can experience the river even not being in church. Let me tell you places we experience this when we fellowship together. When we're laughing, cutting up, when we're enjoying each other's fellowship, there's actually a, liver, a river that is released in that moment, and it's actually the river of God that's just flowing through us with divine joy. Let's look at this in Psalms 46. I want to show you something. So tell us where the life union is. Tell us where this union is. Look at Psalms 46. I'm reading out the Passion Translation. All right. Look at this. God, you are such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. Look at how our view's got to change. I'm telling you, man, this is the task at hand in the days ahead. We got to quit seeing him as God Yahweh and start seeing him as a father. An approachable, loving father, a loving dad that not only doesn't, not like I've been so when I was a kid that God just tolerates us. He don't just tolerate me, friend. He's fascinated by me. Come on, somebody. He, he's, not, he's not tolerating us. He's fascinated by us. And, and, when, and I can't even do it justice and put in the language what he actually went through just to get that fellowship with us. Come on, somebody. It wasn't the fact that he just left us here, friend. Come on, somebody. We settled that last week. Adam falling in the garden and then Jesus showing up on the cross to forgive his anger towards us was not plan B. And Jesus never came to settle any anger his father had with humanity. Boy, I'm preaching down here in the south. You can hear that. It's a rock concrete right there. See, because most of the church believes that the goal of the Father was to forgive us. That was never the goal of the Father. Forgiveness just happened to be in the package. The goal of the Father was bring us back into right relationship with Him and to set us at the right hand of the Father to complete that circle of the dance. And the church is still running around with the cross as the symbol of New Testament Christianity. I'm going to calm down a little bit. Somebody said, Lord, he's up here preaching sacrilegious stuff. He's not for the cross. I am for the cross. Look at this. That, That God, you're such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. You are a proven help in the time of trouble. Look at this. More than enough and always available whenever I need you. See, this is totally crushing that, uh, that Adam thought process that lives in each of us. Because see, what you got to understand, when Adam fell, sin entered into the world. The Bible says sin entered into the world. It was a disease that was released upon mankind. So, so when you ask people in today's right here and say, how many sins you got to commit to become a sinner? People raise their hand and say one. The actual answer to that is zero. All you have to do is be born into the earth. Because when you are born into the earth, from the time you are born to wherever you meet the Lord, you're being shaped with Adam's thoughts. And see, Adam never believed that God was enough. Adam had a lie that was injected into his system that God was a withholder. God was a taker, not a giver. Y'all in the room with me? Come on now. I don't want to go all the way back through that Genesis deal. But God created them. They were created in the image of God. They had perfect fellowship with God. God would come down and meet with them in the cool of the day. They were not naked but clothed with the glory of God according to Psalms 8. They looked exactly like God because Psalms 8 gives us a, 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 we peer into a relationship with the Trinity here and and we hear this and we hear the angels talking and they said, when I considered the works of thy hands, Psalms 8 says, when I considered the heavens and the stars, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou would visit him for you have made him a little lower than Elohim. The King James translates that angels, right? But it means you have made him a little lower than God. And so the angel said, when I see you, Yahweh, and I look at that in the garden, it looks exactly like you. Who is that? What are thou so mindful of man that thou would visit him and you would crown him with glory, honor, and splendor? So when Romans says that we fell short of what? The glory of God. We were destined for the glory in this relationship the whole time. All right, let me, I'm, I'm jumping around. Catherine says I'm ADD sometimes. I've got to stay at the task at hand. All right, so look at this. We will never fear. 
You're always available whenever I need you. So we'll never fear, even if ever strokes or support were to crumble away. We will not fear even when the earth quakes and shakes, moving mountains and casting them into the sea. For the raging roar of stormy winds and crashing waves cannot erode our faith in you. Paul's in his presence. King James says, Salah. God has a constantly flowing river. Listen to this. Now, what I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a rider where he's talking about the dance. C.S. Lewis called it the river. Here, the psalmist calls it the river. So when, Je- when the disciples asked Jesus, where is this, per- where, how, how are you living in this perfect union? What they are saying is, listen, there is a, how many knows in heaven, there is a perfect unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Y'all ain't helping me none up in this room today. There's a perfect unity in that. Damon, if you listen to Damon Thompson, he calls it the perichoresia, the dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are you with me now? So what I was raised up in is a theology that says this. God does love us. He tolerates. He loves me. But he cannot look at sin. Are you with me? So I'm in a sinful condition. So he says, Jesus, we got to go bail them out. You got to get to the earth so I can forgive them so that I'm not angry like I was in the old covenant. Come on now. And satisfy my anger and wrath toward man. Go to the cross and finish it up. Then when you get back here to heaven, you're going to be transformed back into deity. I'm out here on a limb. I'm going to take a while to cover all this up. By the way, anybody that's ever appeared into the realm ain't never saw Jesus as his deity. They always see him as human. That's the way Jesse described in the vision that he was taken up to the throne of God in 1988. When he came to Thomas, he said, stick your, hand, stick your fingers in my, in my, in my, where the nails have been through me. Stick your fingers in my side. He was still in human form. And so, God, I'm not doing this right. Help me, Holy Ghost, right here. So he's talking about a river. Listen. So he says there's a river. There's a constantly flowing river whose sparkling streams bring joy and delight to his people. His river flows right through the city of God Most High. This is not referring to heaven that there is a river flowing into. The city of God that he is talking about is you and I. Remember, Abraham was on a search for a city whose builder and maker is God. God doesn't dwell in temple made with man's hands, which I thought growing up that God dwelled in the house of God. He is not here until someone brings him in this room. We are the temple of God. Are you with me now? So when you come in this room, God comes in this room. Are you with me now? I was raised, we heard people close out the services where we said, we hate to leave you here. That happened in my church. A man turned around, looked at the choir, said, Father, we hate to leave you here. Nobody's left God in this room. God's with you every single day. Every time you wake up, every your moment of every day, God will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you. So the river that he's talking about, this dance, if you will, this perichoresia of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is circulating inside the river. This is in this river, and it is circulating inside the city of God, which is the people of God in this room. So what I'm saying is this, that there's an invitation, I believe, for the deeper water. But we're not going to get into deeper water until our understanding of who he is begins to shift and change. Because we're always going to believe that we're held at an arm's distance. How many remembers the book? I haven't watched the movie, but and, and Cleve's on me like, man, you got to just go watch the movie. But how many members reading the book, The Shack? Who has not read the book Shack in the Room? Raise your hand. Oh my God. If you, I promise you this, if you've never read a book in your life, never read a book in your life and you can't read, that is one book if you ever crack it, you will not put it down. You will not even go to bed till you finish it. How did it captivate us? I remember getting the Shack. I remember starting reading the Shack. And I remember me and Catherine setting up all night long and I would read the Shack to us until we finished it. I mean, it was drawn in that. What, what, what happened? If you know the story of the shack, it is written by a guy by the name of William P. Young. He was working three jobs. He was broke, disgusted, and he wanted to get a Christmas gift for his children. So, the, so he thought, I will pen a book. I will write the book. And he writes a book by the, I think the guy's name is Mackenzie Phillips. Is that correct? 
Mackenzie Phillips is the, is, the, is the person in the book that he's writing about. He had no intentions of ever this book going into print. He just wanted to go to Office Depot, print out a few copies for his grandchildren and his six children. But he wanted to share with them because Mackenzie is actually the story of William. He wanted to share his inner struggle with his children and show them what, what brought him transformation. Are you with me now? So you think about this. I, I know I'm not doing it just this morning. I'm a little scattered, but I'm just trying to put, I'm just in something that I'm trying to put language the best way that I know possible. It's so, I, I've, I've, I'm telling you this, this happened to me about two months ago, three months ago in March. I was at a wedding and I was officiating this wedding. In the beginning of this wedding, you know, everybody's happy, man. Everybody's excited. And you don't know why, but what's happening is the river. People is being drawn into another. They think that they're at a wedding, but the deeper reality is they're being drawn into the river. Because Ephesians 5 says this picture of she and I is a prophetic picture of Christ and his church. So the people, man, I'm telling you, the people were sitting like on the banks of the river. And as the bride, she was in an old car and her dad and her, and she got out. And immediately, man, I'm just, I'm weeping. I'm weeping on the end. I'm just, I'm about to totally lose it. And I've got to officiate this wedding. And, and like, she's beautiful and it's a beautiful scene. But in the music she was playing, I mean, it was all great. But, but it had... It had nothing to do in that moment. All I could think about is this is the Father. Are you with me now? This is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the dance. This is the river. And he's inviting us in. And I watched people who were waiting on the wedding to get over so they could bust the alcohol. All of these things were there. You with me? There was people that loved God, people that didn't know God, people that was mad at God, people that was mad at each other. But everybody had divine joy in that moment because the river was present. They thought they were sitting at the wedding, but I'm telling you, it was the perichoresia that was flowing in that place and their and it was splashing on their feet and it was changing them but here's the deal we have the opportunity to be baptized in that moment and live in that all throughout our life do you want to just have an occasion where there's divine joy on you or do you want to wake up in it every single moment of your life so God help me right here let's 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 look at this. So then I, we, we were doing, I was just thinking about this. We were doing walk-up songs for a little baseball team. You know, now you're eight years old, you got a walk-up song and all this kind of stuff. I mean, um, so Asher, when he said, he said to hit for his walk-up song, he said that, he said, I want Luke Combs forever after all. He's always playing songs. So I don't know if he's trying to get some women at the ballpark or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, buddy, that's not a walk-up song. You know what I'm saying? That's a song that a man wrote to his wife. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's just not a walk-up song. He said, well, I won't. You know? <laughs> but if you watch that video, and I have, and I cry every time I watch it, it's the picture. I'm just telling you of the dance of God and everyone thinks it's about a wedding and it's a love between a man and a woman. But Paul said, this is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. The mystery is this. Jesus has paid the price to stand at the altar to wait on us to be adorned to come down and meet him. And the Father standing overlooking, man, I'm telling you, to officiate the concept, the the consummation of that marriage. Are you with me now? It's a perfect picture in the book of Genesis where Abraham swears to his servant, says, go find me a wife for Isaac. That is a picture of the Holy Spirit sent out into the earth to build the church. Come on, to bring her back. And the scripture says that when he found Rebecca and he brought her back, the scripture says she was laden down with every gift that Abraham possessed on the back. Come on, we that is how we're going to leave the church earth. I mean, the, the, the earth church. Come on, somebody. We are not going to be in this broken, messed up state trying to hang on and wait on the rapture. We're going to be in maturity, in love with the king. Come on, somebody. Laden down with every gift. This is it. All right. So let's, let's move forward right here in this. In Ephesians chapter 1. All right. 
Look at this. In Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verse 4. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself. Before he laid the foundations of the universe, because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes without unstained in innocence. Hold your place right here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I got to go back to the, sh the shack. I got to go back to one thing about the, sh the shack. All right. So why are we drawn into the story? Man, what makes the shack that was not supposed to go in print, but then it became the New York best-selling deal, and the rest is history. There's probably millions of copies of that book sold. What, what, what makes it? What makes the non-believer pick up that book? What makes the Christian pick up that book? What makes us all be drawn into the story? Because all of us can relate to Mackenzie. Mackenzie's father was, was very messed up, and he abused him in every type of way, right? So then he takes that, and now Mackenzie is married. He has children, um, and they're on a camping trip on Memorial Day weekend, and tragedy strikes, and his daughter gets abducted. She's beaten and killed in the woods in, in, in a setting like, I think it's in Oregon, like in the mountains of Oregon where the book's kind of like set, settled at. Um, and... and so now he's up. He, tragedies happen, all of this. So the story goes on as this. He's living with all of that hurt. He's living with that, which is what is going on in society today. They're living with all kind of pain, and they have no idea what to do with it. So we medicated. We are the most medicated generation that's ever been on the planet because we don't know what to do with our pain. Because we got most people in our pulpits preaching about a God that is unconcerned, unaware, and he's unavailable for us. But by the grace of God, we're trying to correct that one message at a time. That I'm here to tell you that the Father's house is always open. Even in Luke 15, that son had to come up with all kind of all kind of stuff that he was going to tell the father to get back in as a hired servant. And can I tell you this? When he saw the eyes of the father, every bit of that melted away because the father had no more concern about his story, what he did. All he was celebrating the fact your son's home. He went down and told the religious brother, listen here, he ain't gone no more. He's made it back into the dance, if you will. Come on, son. He's back inside the perichoresia. Go kill the fatted calf and let's celebrate. Your son has made, my son has made it home. That's the whole point. Listen, the point is not come see how good the church is. If you're in the church, listen, God help you. Somebody, come on now. I'm not here to beat up the church, but he didn't say if any man be in church, he is a new creation. He said if any man be in Christ, in the dance, he's going to be a new creation. So Mackenzie is messed up. He's got this hurt. He's got questions like we all do. Where was God when I was a kid? Where was he? Why didn't he protect me when I was a kid? And I can tell you what, he sure wasn't there on Memorial Day weekend when Missy was abducted. So he's living with this pain. And see, what we got to understand, if we don't learn how to deal with pain, you know that Matthew 27 talks about Jesus on the cross. It says that they offered him gall dipped in vinegar. That gall was a painkiller. So what they did was say, Jesus, here, let me hand you a lore set. Let me, hand you, let me hand you some hydrocodone. Let me hand you some Percocet up there. Let me, let me hand you something. He totally rejects that. Do you know why? Because he knows that you and I are going to have pain. Come on, somebody. He not only bore your sickness, he bore your pain on the cross, friend. He bore your pain on the cross. He took my pain on the cross. So he's doing life, and he hears this invitation. He, he goes out to his mailbox, and there's an invitation that says, meet me at the shack. See, the shack ain't really. The, the shack's not really some cabin out in the woods. The shack is the place of brokenness. For you, the shack could be a lost marriage. For you, the shack could be a lost child. For you, the lost shack could be rage and anger. For you, the, Lord, the shack could be the failure of a business whatever it is but the father has invited him back 
Man, y'all, I don't know if I'm doing this any justice to see this. But the father's so forced that he lets us limp in the pain. He, he, he keeps us up on the bicycle even though we're taller to the left and the right. And he stays with us till we're walking, till we finally make it out of place to say, I can't live like this anymore. He says, so let's come back to the shack. Let's come back to the shack. Well, if you've never read the story, I'm blowing it for you right here. But he does go back to the shack. But notice how he didn't. The letter's not signed, God. The letter's not signed, Yahweh, your holiness. The letter says, Mackenzie, meet me at the shack, love, Papa. Abba, meet me there. Because see, what I'm trying to tell you is there's a voice that comes to your head. Every time we enter into problems, every time sickness shows up, God's not for you. If he was for you, you wouldn't be facing what you're facing. But I'm here to tell you the truth. Good people and bad people go through rough stuff. Listen, we live in a fallen world and we're going to be in a fallen world until the Lord returns and sets up the new Jerusalem. But let me tell you this, just because we live in a fallen world, does not mean I have to live my life embracing fallen thoughts. I want to live my life embracing an anchor of hope in him. Come on, somebody, that he's good regardless of what I face. If we're completely bankrupt and we're eating vine and sausage, I will look at my kids in the face and say, the same God that has come through us for time and time again will be the same God that does it again. But if he does not, we will never curse his name, for he has been 100% good to us. But so, sign Papa, come back to the shack. Well, you know the story if you've read the book. I'm, t- I'm just enticing you with some things. You go home and read it. But Mackenzie makes it back. He, par- he bars the Jeep and he goes back into the deep woods. He's headed back to that place. Because, see, the only way you're ever going to get healed is to allow Father to invite you on a journey to go back. I've had to go back a bunch. I told Zach on Friday night, he, he and I were working out, and he's 28, and I'm in my 40s. But I was still out doing him. I'm, I'm gonna say, I got the mic. I can say it like that. You know, John, when he wrote the Gospel of John, he said he was running with Peter, but he signs at the back. You know, he said he outran him to the tomb, so I can preach it the way I want to do it. But when I, well, I told him when I first started trying to get on my health, when I was in the gym and Mitch's helped me with this I would see images of people that did me wrong and I would fuel it into my workout I'd just be just 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 I mean almost like hurt my own body and Mitch said you can't do that he said you giving man those, those are rage yeah sure it's gonna make you a little stronger make you want to do some more weight but that's un, that's you can't you can't meditate on those thoughts so what I have to do, I had to go back. I have to go back. You know that forgiveness doesn't mean it restores the relationship. It just means you release them of the punishment you think they deserve. You, that, what it does is it puts you back in the right place as a son and not a judge. Who are you to judge? The father's the judge. Come on, somebody. You're a son. It's not my place to judge them. And I must trust that he's a good father and he knows the best outcome for me and them. Leave it in his hands. It's hard to do that. So he goes back into this place and he's headed down the corridors. And nobody don't like this, man. See, everybody, everybody wants to just come in here and let's preach about you're going to have your best life. Let's chest bump, do some three songs, go eat some chicken. And we knocked out a good Sunday. But if you really want to grow in God, you're going to have to be willing to travel the uncomfortable road down into your soul. Because that's where the jacked up stuff's coming from. It's almost like a computer, but you got malware in the system. It's running behind the scenes. And unless you, unless you know how to type in some DOS commands, you can't find some of the stuff that's running. But it's running through your soul, and it's causing chaos in your everyday life. It's causing chaos in your marriage. It's causing chaos on your job with your employees and the people around you in your relationships because it is going, it is happening in the soul. Meanwhile, Papa said, hey, meet me at the shack. Most people get the letter every day, 
But they hit return to sender. Send it back. I don't want to go back to the shack. Mackenzie finally has the courage to show up at the shack. Well, notice this. When he shows up at the shack, he doesn't go back and find the candles lit. It's a cold, dark place, which is the way all of our hurts are. Come on, y'all. Am I the only one in the room? It's, it's not a lovely place. Laying in the floor is the stain of blood where his daughter was murdered. And he goes into a full-blown raging fit. Cleve, I'm doing good without even seeing the movie, ain't I? That's called I'm a reader. The book's always better than the movie anyway. Come on, somebody. So he's in a full-blown rage and anger. Here we see. Listen, what you got to understand. John 1.14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. See, the Creator, the Genesis just says, In the beginning God created See, he just means just one. But John peers past that and he sees the three. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Father. Whew, man, come on, y'all. He's, man, I'm, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. John's peering into all three. And he says, the Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the Word... He's made flesh and dwelt among us. That word flesh is not human being. That word flesh is describing the falling, broken, jacked up nature of man. And it says he became that. Jesus, the word, leaves heaven, dwells among, dwells among us, picks up Adam's flesh. And now he's walking on the earth. Oh my God. Y'all with me right here? He's walking on the earth. He's in Adam's flesh, but he never has Adam's thoughts because he's the God man. He's the God, he's God yet man. Come on, somebody. If, he, if Jesus did everything he did as God on the earth, you and I don't have a chance. He can't look at me in John 5 14 and say, The works you see me do, greater shall ye do, because I go back to the Father. No, you did them as God, but Jesus did not do them as God. He did it as a man submitted unto his Father, full of the Holy Spirit. So now he's in broken humanity and he's working. Now look at this. So it's one thing. How many knows if we're trapped in a cave? And the workers, they sent rescuers to come get us out of the cave. But the, but the rescuers set up tent and they stay at the top of the cave. We're toast. Jesus didn't just come to the earth and become a human. If he did, it would have been just like setting up the tent right above the cave, but never helping us. He said, no, I got to go back. I got to go back and become flesh, broken. All of this, he's wearing the suit. Now, if he did that and just became flesh and wasn't God, we'd still be in a mess. If the rescuers came down into the cave but lost communication with the top, they going to die with us too. So now he's down in the cave with full communication with the Father. So Mackenzie goes in the room and he's having a fit there's the blood stain on the floor he's slinging furniture in the room and he's tearing this shack to pieces and he looks up and he finally says this actually he's got a revolver in the in with him if I remember right and he actually is fixing to turn the revolver on himself to try to quiet the pain and then he finally says this he said I knew you wouldn't show up because you've never been there He's not addressing, he's addressing, he's addressing God the Father. You've never been there. I knew you wouldn't show up. So he packs his stuff and he exits out of the shack. As he starts to exit out of the shack, all of a sudden something begins to transform right under his feet. The frozen tundra that has been frozen still because of the cold, hard winter has now begun to throw out what would take months to unthaw is now folding at milliseconds before his very eyes is unfolding left and right. And the first thing he hears, listen, look at that man, I'm telling you right now, y'all ain't got time. I could preach this for days right now. But notice the first thing he hears when the, when the tundra starts unthawing is he hears laughter. 
When is the last time laughter has been in the house of God? Let me ask you that in the South, church. You know what we're accustomed to? Depression, heaviness, and every other form of anxiety. And we're good living with that. I said it's about time we get happy again in the house of God. When the laughter of God and the joy of God and the presence of God return back to the house, we won't have to do no advertising and no Facebook boost of no post to get people's attention. Because the river will pull you into it. I've seen it. Go to a wedding and watch people be sucked into the river. So Mackenzie, now this is where the church got so upset with William Young. And if you, like anything, anything good, anything that God's doing, if you Google it, they're going to tell you 14 reasons why it's heresy. I mean, Billy Graham is now a false prophet if you Google him. Come on, somebody. There ain't nothing but the frozen tundras and the icicles and everything else that's been out there to be promoted. So I count it all joy when people call me a cult leader and everything else. I count it, I wear that with great stride. That means I'm flowing a little different than what, what. All right, let me quit. I mean, we got people, we had, they, I, I had some on the other house that just popped up on there and Catherine, she got mad as fire. She's like, turn that off right now. We got a dude standing behind his pulpit calling out Christian leaders and talking about that don't, that, that's straight up junk. Don't even listen to that. First of all, let me say this. It's a danger anytime that you think you've got the piece of the puzzle. <clears throat> you got the mandate, the mandate from heaven. We're all wearing this multicolored jacket and we're all part of one body. God needs the Charles Stanleys just like he needs the Jensen Franklins. We're not all running with the total package. Lex Luger is in retirement and he ain't coming back. Are you with me? So we're running with a fragment of the thing. But God is, but let me tell you what I do believe that we're going to see happen. I do believe we're going to see cross-pollinization and a convergence of the streams like never before in the days ahead. We're going to see them come together. You're going to see the prophetic teaching because the prophetic movement has desperately needed the teaching movement to come in convergence with that. If not, we get flaky and get out here just chasing smoke for a decade. We need teachers to ground us in the truth. So we're going to see a convergence of this. So Jesus becomes flesh. Mackenzie gets a shack. Things start open. So here's where the people get upset with Because this, when he hears laughter, he's drawn and he meets someone that welcomes him to, to, to their cabin. And here's an older Afri African-American woman with big eyes and a lot of love. And that was Papa. Man, don't make me get right here on the sideway a little bit. Jesus would tell you, I mean, Jesus, Junior would tell you selling insurance. You go in the white folks' house, Jesus is white bear hanging on the wall. Y'all don't come on now, y'all. We're going to break it down right up in here now. If, you, if, you, if you're black, Jesus is black on the wall. If you're red, Jesus is red on the wall. If you're if you pink, he's pink on the wall. <laughs> I can tell you right now, Jesus is not white, okay? I don't want to upset y'all. He ain't white. And so here we got, we got Papa is now an older black woman. Most church threw that boot right in the trash right then. Here's, you know what, listen to me. They want to throw it in the trash, but they're so captivated by the story and the presence that, the, that now hope enters into the heart. Could Father really be that inviting? I thought he was stoic, regal, cold-faced, ruled regulated and could not hardly stand for me to be in his presence but now here's a picture of papa that is inviting and welcoming right on in even with your stuff even toting a revolver in your hand that you was fixing to kill him with and yourself father said come on in oh man oh listen welcome to haters right here I give my come on could he really be that inviting? So for months, I've been in my personal time. 
And I said, Father, that inviting because <laughs> I got a lot of baggage and a lot of hurt God do you really welcome that in your house or do I just gotta just pin it as a badge of honor and just keep going so then now another person shows up He's got a tool belt on and covered in sawdust, and he's olive skin. Look like he's Middle Eastern descent. His name is Josh. Oh, was he in the movie? It's maybe not Josh, but I'm, I'm thinking about Western theology. They call him Josh in Western theology. I got so many books going through my head right now. I don't mind. Huh? Huh? I ain't read before in my lifetime, so I got they all converging. But he's always in the woodshed. He's always working. He's always setting an example. And then here comes this woman that seems to appear and disappear and float like the wind. And she's of Asian descent, which is the Holy Spirit. And the church got so ticked off that why would you picture the Holy Spirit as a woman? Have you ever read the first four chapters of Proverbs where it talks about wisdom when it says she? Come on, somebody. I'm messing some people up in this room. Because see, what we's good, we like to hold on to the bank. If I could just believe God tolerates me and he really hates me, he's not really inviting, I just got to keep living the way I'm living. But if I really believe he's inviting and he's got this, and he's got a wood fire going on and he's got some fresh biscuits in the oven and he's welcome to come down, see what you got in the book of Nehemiah, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. When he's weeping over the brokenness of that city and the walls of there, notice what he says, come, let us. He didn't say, just try to figure it out, son. He didn't say, why don't you just get it together? Why, why? You look like you'd have it together by now. You've been doing it for 20-something years. Why don't you just get it together? No, he says, come let us reason together. So here it is. His father welcomed me into the house, into the dance, saying, I see that. I see. By the way, none of us has got anything hidden from the father. We live like we do. Nobody's up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's going through your history on your phone. We got it all figured out. But the Father is all there in blatant daylight. And yet He's still raining on us. This is why we have people to come in the South that walk in the building and, and their lives is not right. They start looking around and I've heard this all my life. Boy, I sure hope the roof's going to stay standing. Well, if your house is standing, you're probably all right in here. Come like if God wanted to get you, he can only find you here at the church. If he didn't want you on the planet, you'd be a charcoal brisket offering gone before the Lord. So now, look at this. I, I got to finish this. I'm, I'm a little past 12 if you take your medicine. Look right here. And he chooses, he chooses to be his very own. Now listen to this. Here, here's the thing. You read it, but what's what I want to leave you with? See, I thought for a lot of long time the goal was forgiveness. The goal was never forgiveness. The goal was adoption. See, the goal was not I gotta forgive you. The goal was I want you so bad. Forgiveness just happened to be in the package, but adoption was the deal. You know what adoption is? Adoption is you walking in the room, you looking at all of them, but you say. I want that one right there. I remember when we got Bo Elvis. He's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, all in one, Cocker Spaniel. He's very anointed. He loved <laughs> When I go home, I'm going to ask him, what you heard from the Lord today? He's going to be laying on the back of the couch. He's going to look at me like I'm crazy and lay back down on the back of the couch. <laughs> 
But there was multiple choices to choose from. But we looked down and we said, we want that dog right there. We named him Bo, but he was born on Elvis' birthday, so we named him Bo Elvis. We wanted him. It was not, it was not somebody twisting my arm. It was not somebody gave me, you know, a bunch of money and said, would you, would you just do this on our behalf? No, we said we want him. When we said we wanted that one. She said this is how much it was going to be. And it wasn't no $500, okay? It cost me some change to have that dog. I got a pile of money in that dog. And that dog's got ear problems and his ears stinks to high mercy. And my couch stinks to high mercy if you come to my house, but you would deal with it because I love that dog. And the only way to fix it is to make him permanently deaf. And I said, we will never make that dog permanently deaf. Either he'll live like that, God heal him, do the best he can, whatever, the rest of his life, right there on the back of that couch. People ain't going to come to our house no more. You know what I'm saying? But you don't smell it because of Febreze, man. We, come on, y'all. God give us wisdom. Y'all seen the Febreze commercial? You got laid out t- salmon that's been in the trash for three weeks. You spray Febreze and it won't smell nothing. But he says this, listen, before the foundations of the earth, Paul says, before the foundations of the earth, God chose. Father says, this is it. I'm going to have a family. Because this dance that we share is so special, I want to include them in it. We're going to dance together. So when Adam fell in the garden, the father didn't bite his fingernails saying, oh my God, what are we going to do? He had already chose. Have you ever read in the book of Revelation where it says Jesus Christ slain before the foundation of the world? That means before Adam was, he was slain. Try to, try to do the math on that. See, that your logic up here starts spinning. And, and it, we just get so crazy up here because your brain can't even compute all that. And mine can't either. That's why it's called trust. I just trust it, Mitch. But what if, what if those sitting outside the walls of this church, what if the man that is drinking a case of beer a day are problems or or drinking a half gallon of liquor a day all he's doing is masking a wound that's a symptom you understand that right whatever you're doing is a symptom the root problem is a disease called the Adam's thought process and Adam's nature so when Jesus is on the cross Adam is screaming out that one final moment Adam cries out of his flesh, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Boy, here's what blows it all. In the shack, Mackenzie looks at Papa and says, You forsook me. You forsook him just like you did me. He said, I never forsook him. Then what's mind-blowing is the father holds his hands out and scars is on his hands and says, you will never understood what, understand to the fullness of what it cost us. Jesus is not forsaken at that moment by his father. Adam's thoughts are entering into his mind. Come on, y'all. I, 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 I'm going to give you just enough appetite to finish it. But when we were told as in Sunday school in John 17 that Jesus sweats and come and drops of blood because he don't want to go to the cross, that's hogwash. He came to the earth knowing he's going to die. Uh, in Luke 2.52, the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and statue with God and man. With God and man. That word grow means to forge ahead. It is a picture of like a metal being formed by a blacksmith. It is a slow, continual, very difficult process because you take metal, throw it into the fire, you beat it in the anvil, you cool it down, then you start the whole process over again. 
This is what this is a picture of. God is on the earth in Jesus forging ahead. You think the cross was the you think the cross was the the cross was the crescendo of every beat and every battered moment that Jesus was facing from the time he was born into the earth to the time he goes to the cross. He's forging ahead. He's forging ahead in John 8 when the church finds the woman caught in adultery. And the law says, stone her. He's forging ahead. No, we're not going to act like Adam. I'm not Israel. I'm not the Mosaic law. Come on, somebody. I'm not Adam. I'm not Noah. My kingdom is with me. Woman, he says, those of you without sin, those of you, those of you standing here without the disease of Adam, throw the first stone. Nobody can pick it up. So he tells us, he said, woman, I, I, where are your accusers? And neither do I. Y'all reading the book. Y'all right? No, this ain't what the church taught us. The church taught us you better be careful for you do the unpardonable sin. There is a sin unto death. I used to wake up as a teenager thinking, God, that was not the sin unto death. That was what we did last night. I'm the only one in the building because y'all have been holy in y'all's life. You know what I'm saying? I've got some jacked up stuff. I still got some. I need multiple counseling right now. So he's forging ahead. This is the same process. Listen, so this whole deal, I've got, I've got to end with this. So this whole deal that we're going to wake up in, in 2022 because we held some stadium events and revival's going to cover the mass, uh, revival's just going to be shaking the globe and everybody's going to come to know Jesus. Show me a picture of that in the Bible. But I tell you what is a picture in the Bible is like leaven we're going to be hid in three measures of meal that we're going to learn how to tote the kingdom in everyday life, that you begin to share with your co-workers of how you're living in the divine dance and joy. And little by little, we're going to work this thing out. Come on, somebody. I'm not knocking what we've been doing as far as praying and everything like that, but I'm no, I do not believe I'm going to wake up and on May, uh, May 7, 2022, Master Revival is going to shake the earth. Y'all, y'all upset with me right here. We still got half the church in the dumps because of the presidential change. Like that was going to make the difference in the nation anyhow. I don't agree with some of the policies that's going on, and, and I do vote for policy, and we got to vote. Are you with me now? But there's still a hill above Capitol Hill, church. There's still a court above the Supreme Court. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray and all of that. All of that goes in hand. But I'm telling you, until people awaken to the goodness of God and what is available, we're never going to change people's lives through our Christian disciplines. What changes your life is love, the goodness of God. So here's the thing. It's not about he chose to forgive me. He chose to adopt me. I've been his the whole time. I just didn't realize it. It took me the February the 2nd of 1998 to realize that I was his. And from February the 2nd of 1998 until this current state, I have been working out a ton of stuff. And I have walked in Adam's shoes a whole lot more than I've walked in Jesus' shoes. And Adam always feels like God's not enough. He always feels like God's not going to come through. He always feels like if it's going to get done, he's got to get it done himself. Come on, y'all. Those are his whole thought processes. But when I put on Jesus' shoes, I can rest in full security of knowing that he's got me no matter what happens. Then I can live in the river, and if every, every support structure hits the ground, I'm not shaking and moved into fear. See, when I had to go to the doctor because I was having anxiety so bad I couldn't hardly go to sleep, and I'd, I'd love to tell you, get up here and say, you know what? I go to bed at 9 o'clock every night and fall asleep like a baby. Four nights ago, it took me a half, an hour and a half to go to sleep. For the first 45 minutes, I, did, I had thoughts racing through my mind, you're going to die before daylight. So how can, you, how, how can that be happening? Because I know that there's some holes in my armor somewhere about the Father that is absolutely not true. And so I just said, Father... I'm going to lay here until you begin to show me and until I get inside this dance, 
and I get so wild from dancing, I'm just going to fall asleep. But I know this, you're not upset. Friend, God's not upset with you. I don't care what you've been through. God's not upset with you. He's never looked down one time in disgust and anger saying, I wish you would get it right. These times I've looked in the mirror at me and said, I wish I could get it right and disgust it with myself. The Father's never been that way. I want to pray over you. I don't know if I've confused you or helped you. But it takes time to plow into this. It's taking some time to plow into this. If you've never read The Shack, you gotta go read, you gotta go read it. Or if you don't want to read, go watch the movie The Shack. But Mackenzie, what you gotta understand, the reason why he writes Mackenzie so well is Mackenzie was actually William. William was raised. He was born, help me, Holy Spirit, Alberta, Canada, I think it was. His father was a missionary. And after six years old, his father chose to come back, or or sometime in that, his father chose to come back. So his father being a missionary and raised up in the church, yet he was verbally abused, sexually abused, and all these things that were going on. Just because folk go to church don't mean their life's crisp and clean. Just because they're holding a mic don't mean they got, it, they got it all together. I don't ever want one of my children to stand up when I've left the earth and say, Boy, boy, daddy had a lot of revelation. That is not, that's, that's not what I want in my eulogy. I want them to be able to say, my God, Daddy was gentle. And they ain't been able to say that all their life. God, Daddy was long-suffering. Man, did Daddy love, did Daddy love. Because, see, if that's said about me, then they start talking about the Father. Not the revelation I have. Man, anybody can get revelation. All you got to do is read. But when you love and you're long-suffering, those are the fruits and the marks of there's a king and his kingdom residing inside of you. Short-temperedness, rage, anger, all of that is a sign that you are fully in Adam's shoes and you have vacated the dance. But the sign that you're in the dance is you're lowly. Humility, you're meek. See, if Grant was able to tell the truth, he would say, Daddy can be quick, Daddy can be sharp, Daddy's strong as a bullox, and he'll get you time to time. Those are not the marks and traits of the Father. Those are the marks and traits of a fallen man outside the dance. Come on, church. I'm not running for anything or whatever. You may, may never see him preach and get up and tell his own stuff. That's, that's odd, too. If they, a lot of them would be more honest, it would help a lot of people in their congregation. Because we had a sound guy in here, and this is what I told him. I said, I don't put the pulpit on the stage. Not because I'm afraid of preaching on the stage. I've preached all over the place, okay? I've been at this a while. But I said, I never want the people to think that I'm that far ahead of them because I know what it's like to sit in a chair and see the minister way up here in the heavens and think I never got a shot of ever being capable of that. But I never want to get so common that you, you, you lose sight of the, of the God that's on my life. You with me now? But I'm just here trying to do life the best I can. But I'm telling you that the Father wants us in this dance. And if we'll get in the dance, we'll watch all of those things, those shortcomings that are keeping us from really, we'll watch them begin to fall off. You don't have to, I mean, get a thousand hours of counseling to make them fall off. All you got to do is start hanging out into the dance. And when you hang out into the dance, notice this, and I'm, I'm done. But in the book of Acts, it says these ignorant, unlearned men, 
I like that because it qualifies me and Steve. We can get in that category, Steve. These are ignorant and unlearned men, but we cannot deny the fact that these men have been with Jesus. They didn't hear them open their mouth and see what kind of theology they had, but they said they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There was something about them. When the folk did them wrong, they didn't pull the sword out of the gun to try to get somebody. They were changed and transformed by living inside the dance. Father, we love you today with our whole heart. Father, in my limited register, in my limited ability to speak, I did the best I could to communicate to the people this day that you are wanting us inside the dance. Some things do last forever after all, and that is your great love for us, Father. God, we want to be ravished by you. We want the deeper water. We're tired of coming in a building doing three songs and jumping around, sweating and leaving and going to a buffet, growing our waistline. We just want to be transformed. We want to appear. We, want, we just want to be transformed, Lord. And so, Father, I pray a, the blessing of communion upon your people today. In the mighty name of Jesus, let them be aware of the dance and everything that they're doing from the time they sit down at the dinner table to they enjoy their children to whatever they're doing. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let me say this. We've got we to gotta quit living this life of separation. That we got church life. We got work life. We got married life. We got children life. We just got one life. And the dance goes into all that life. When I'm on my boat and my boys are laughing and we're, we're, we're spending time and we're catching fish left and right, you know what's causing that joy? It's the dance that's happening. The Father's just as much as involved right there as He is right here what I'm doing this morning. When we go play golf and I hit four houses and knock two cars out and it looks like I vandalized the golf course because we don't have no idea where it's going. We know that it's fixing to be struck with great force. We have no idea where it's going. And we all start laughing and cutting up. You know what's happening? That's the dance. The dance is taking place. Father's right there. Just because we're not speaking in tongues or running around with the King James doesn't mean that the dance is not there. The dance is in every part of life. And that's all he's looking for is our awareness of that. Friend, God bless you. Remember, next Sunday is July the 4th. We will not meet. We are online only. If you lose your salvation over that, I'm sorry. I apologize. And um, so, but anyhow, we will not be here. We're going to enjoy some. We're going to enjoy that week off, right? Hear me? We will have an uploaded message. I'll be on there talking. Somebody will be on there talking to you about the goodness of our Heavenly Father, okay? God bless you all. Enjoy your week. Don't forget to catch Wednesday nights. Um, God bless you all. We'll see you here not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that. Go enjoy your family. Cook some burgers and hot dogs. Enjoy the beach. We hope you enjoyed our weekly message. Thank you for joining us. We want to connect with you. Please visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc, where you can find our social media information and directions to download our smartphone app. This will keep you connected to all things Cornerstone. We pray that you have a wonderful week.